Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Meraki Unbox podcast. My name is Sammy Brenner, and I'm going to be the host of the episode today, taking you through a very cool one. I know it's going to be a good one because I've got a pal of mine joining, and I'll introduce him in just a second. Um, but quick heads up, if you want to collaborate with us, if there is content you want to hear about, if there is a new product you want to learn more about, or you have an incredible guest in mind, please reach out to the Cisco Meraki comms team. We would love to work with you on, and collaborate on the podcast when and if it makes sense. So we're always looking for new content coming out about every two weeks. Um, but as we transition today, I'm going to give the bio of our guest, and then we're going to get into it. And these are really special episodes of the Meraki Unbox podcast that I host because we really look at that human element of networking. And something amazing that we get to do is highlight some incredible leaders within our organization. And that's exactly what we are doing today. So Ponch Ramirez is going to be our guest. He is an empathetic leader with 20 years plus of experience. Um, and he's kind of jumped around in his career working in small business and enterprise and public sector in different markets within Mexico. Um, and then he was recruited recruited, excuse me, and hired to develop Cisco's next generation of account managers and system engineers from over 45 countries um, at Cisco Netherlands, so the CSAP program there. Um, he introduced and built the Cisco Meraki business in LATAM and in global enterprise accounts in the U.S., driving a cloud-based networking model, helping customers in their digital transformation journey. Currently, Ponch is leading that transformation at Cisco Meraki in U.S. public sector as the director of engineering. He resides in Miami with his wife and his kiddos and his fur babies. Um, welcome to the Meraki Unbox podcast, Ponch. How are you? Sammy, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. I'm a fan of your show. So, uh, yeah, excited to be in the podcast. I know. We've talked about this for a long time. It's finally happening. Finally. <laughs> I know. Since the second I met you, I was like, we got to get you on this podcast. You're special. There's something about you. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, but first question I like to ask every guest, how did you get into tech and how did you land at Cisco? What's your story? Oh, my God. It's a long story. I'll try to make it short, but it goes back to when I was uh, a kid, really. And uh, my both my parents work. We come from a low-income family. I was... Uh, growing up with my grandma uh, and my brother. So both my parents worked really hard. They put me in a private school and uh, that led to getting a scholarship for uh, during middle school, high school, and that gave me a scholarship into uh, the university. So I, um, I studied electronics and communications engineering at uh, Tecnológico de Monterrey, uh, or ITESM, uh, based in Mexico. And uh, the way I came up with technologies back at the time, they were offering classes around uh, networking, fiber optics, satellite communications. This is a long, long time ago. And that's how I got exposed initially to technology and how I get into Cisco. That's a funny story as well. I, I had already signed with a, a Japanese company focused on satellite communications. And then uh, my hiring manager at Cisco back at the time, Sergio Mejia, a good mentor of mine, he convinced me to continue the interview process at Cisco and ask for the other company to wait for me. So I did. 
it was kind of insane because the other company was a full-time job, uh, very small commute, very good paid. And the Cisco job was an internship. Uh, it was very far from home. It was like an hour plus of commuting. Wow. And uh, I was a red batch, which is a temporary employee. So uh, I, I declined my initial job to get into Cisco. And I was hired by, uh, by Sergio Mejia back at the time. Wow, that's incredible. So what was it about a part-time gig at Cisco that was more appealing or did you, was there like a gut instinct that you should take this opportunity versus that other full-time gig? So I think throughout my career, I've been making my decisions based on things that I love. And this was one of those, right? I really enjoyed the networking and fiber optics classes back in the university. So that was like th something that I wanted to explore. And then I have other friends that have worked previously at Cisco and it seemed to be like a super cool company startup kind of, uh, and I went with my, with my God and follow my heart and things that I love. So that's why I decided to get into Cisco. There you go. Going with your gut and your heart. I call it the hut, the gut and the heart, <laughs> the combination. You can't go wrong if you stick, stick to your hut. Um, so talk to me about kind of this evolution of you and your career. Now you're a director of engineering. Obviously, I think you started as kind of an individual contributor at Cisco and kind of worked your way up. Um, why did you decide to get into leadership in the first place? And can you kind of talk to us about the evolution of this journey that you've been on? Yeah, absolutely. As you said, it's been a journey, right? When I joined uh, Cisco was fortunate after the internship to get hired for the CSA program. So I relocated to the States, lived in California for six months, got trained there. When I came back, uh, again, uh, I'll allude to Sergio Mejia. He, he was my manager at the time. He hired me. He always gave me like this stretch assignments. And one of those was to recreate CSAP at a lower cost in Mexico to develop SEs for our channel partners. So I started doing that. I was exposed to working with HR, uh, with uh, workplace resources to find seats, computers for these individuals, working with a third party, uh, third party uh, partner company to to hire them. Um, so very early stage in my career, I was exposed to that. I kind of enjoyed it. And then when I started working with these young individuals, I was learning so much, and I, I always feel like I was giving back to them a little bit kind of like a mentorship. And that's that's how it all started, right? Eventually over time, there was an opportunity uh, where the CSAP program that I was part of back in 2000, they were looking for a manager. Um, back at the time, it was the emerging market, Sarah. So people from Latin America, uh, Middle East, Africa, uh, they were being sent to the Netherlands. So a good friend of mine nowadays, um, he asked uh, if there was any manager that was interested in getting the role. So my SE director back at the time approached me and said, hey, you've been doing this program for a very long time, the internship program here in Mexico. This sounds like a great opportunity. You went through CSAP, so why don't you apply for the role? And so I did, and uh, I got the role. <laughs> and I got to relocate to the Netherlands. Another example of a tough decision and just following my heart I was having a great time in Mexico, just recently married, uh, got an apartment that was paying my rent. I was going through an MBA and I decided to leave all that behind and, and make a bet on relocating. Uh, best decision ever. So uh, 
when I get to the Netherlands, that was my first official management role, right? Yep. Like previously, I was an individual contributor, even though I was been I've been running the internship program for a while. I never had like the title or the responsibility. So when I I get to the Netherlands, that was my very first uh, management bro- um, role. Right. It was outside of sales, right? It was uh, more in the development side of uh, of Cisco, but it was amazing. Uh, I yeah. learned a lot uh, once I land there. So talk to us a little bit because uh, this podcast is mainly Cisco and Meraki employees listening, but it you know anyone. Spotify, Apple can download and listen. So for those folks out there who maybe don't know what CSAP is, and I think it is a huge differentiator at Cisco, tell us what is the CSAP program and kind of like what's the value prop behind it? Yeah, so it's an acronym that stands for Cisco Sales Associates Program. It's a young and career program that Cisco has where we hire young and career individuals and help them develop as account managers or systems engineers, right? Back at the time, it was a one-year program where people relocated to the Netherlands and they were trained not only on Cisco products and technologies, but also on soft skills. So everything from uh, presentation skills, uh, objection handling, you name it. So it was an amazing program. It still runs. It's a different format nowadays. But people who go through CSAP historically has this reputation of being super successful, not only at Cisco, but eventually if they move on, in the industry. So very uh, high priced program. And I was just lucky to be part of it uh, initially in the early years and then giving back as part of the management uh, team. Right, right. That is amazing. Thank you for explaining that. So um, you get to the Netherlands, you start, you have this opportunity to lead this team. It's your first management role. Um, How are you thinking about hiring and developing talent and you know, was diversity top of mind for you at that point, right? Like what, how is, what was your mindset then? And how has that evolved and changed for you over the years? Thanks for the question. I think it's very different. Back at the time, personally, I didn't have the diversity mindset uh, when I was hiring, right? Um, Being born and raised in Mexico City, I was very, I guess, just focused on finding good talent, regardless uh, of the diversity. And going into the Netherlands, that completely changed my point of view. There were 45 uh, different countries being hosted there when I came back, more than 140 people from all over the place, (laughs) like you name it. Um, And it was a great learning experience. The program already had like that diversity in mind. So the program, to my surprise, we hired people from very different backgrounds. Uh, We had lawyers, we had uh, people who study philosophy. So you didn't have to have a technology background to get into the program. And watching those individuals become successful, that was kind of like mind blowing, right? Uh, So I I really enjoyed that. And I think that has changed uh, ever since. Especially nowadays, since I relocated to the States, I think I'm more conscious of uh, diversity and we currently have like a big initiative of trying to find more female talent as an example, because finding uh, engineers, uh, good quality engineers uh, that are female in nature, it's not easy. So we're consciously starting to develop some programs um, to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And it it has changed and evolved. And definitely I feel like Cisco is that's the forefront of hiring now, right? Is taking into consideration diverse talent and 
to your point, genius knows no zip code, right? And you met people from all over the world who have very diverse backgrounds. And I think that's the beauty is you don't have to come from a specific background to be successful in sales or engineering if you get in the right role and have the skill set. Um, so that's that's very cool. Um, what would you say is your leadership style? And I guess, let me preface this question. You out of any leader I've worked with at Cisco, shout people out and acknowledge incredible performance and care deeply about your people in a way that is so personal, like over the holidays, Ponch sent like voice memos to the leadership team, just wishing them, you know, happy holidays, little things like that. You just go the extra mile. And I've never met anyone who shows up the way you do um, with so much kindness and caring and compassion. And I've talked to you about this before because I'm like, how do you become that way? Like, I would love to be that way, but it's just, you know, how have you developed this leadership style and how, I guess, has it evolved to get you to where you are today? Yeah, great question. I, I would say that my style, it's more of a people leader and it has been a journey as well, right? So I'll, I'll tell you a little story and some mistakes that I've made over time that has shaped who I am and why I am the way I am right now. So when I came back from the Netherlands, I, I came back to Mexico and I was fortunate to get the role of the ESC manager for the enterprise team, right? And when I came back, I was being very uh, Dutch, let me put it that way. No offense to the, the Dutch people, I love them, uh, have some great friends. But I was being very uh, disciplined on time, everything was being planned, everything has to be metrics oriented, no, no chit chat, um, and that doesn't work in Latin America. So I, in Latin America, you normally spend more time early in the meetings, talking anything but business, um, get to know the people, get, get to know what they're doing. Um, you're a bit more relaxed and I was completely the opposite, right? And I was coming from managing young and career individuals who probably needed more direction. And when I landed in the field, these were more senior folks that they, they didn't need that, uh, up front. So a good friend of mine, Carlos Campos, was kind enough to one day pull me aside and tells me, hey, Pancho, you're, you're killing us, right? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I, in my head, I was like doing the most awesome job as a manager. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, you're, you're killing us. You're micromanaging us. Uh, you're asking us to do all the certifications and all these metrics, but you don't realize how much time it takes to get into customer meetings, partner development, blah, blah, blah. And you're just running reports. Anyways, he he gave me like the whole readout, and that kind of shocked me. Right, I was like, oh my god, I think he's right, <laughs> and <laughs> that completely changed my my style. Right, that was mm -hmm. the I was the early stages of uh, punching the making. So I I started um, analyzing what I was doing, and I think he was partially right. So I think. Obviously, certifications, metrics, being on time, all those things matter, and I still do them today, but in a way that I prioritize first individuals, understanding who they are, uh, their role, their accounts, their concerns, and not treating everyone like a one-size-fits-all, uh, but more like what they need as individuals. So that marked me very much, and that was, again, the one of a, the few examples that I have on uh, developing myself. The other example I share, and this is a mistake, one of my biggest mistakes I've, I've made as a manager. Um, I'd like to talk about those, especially for people that are willing to go into management. 
because not everything is, uh, you know, uh, shiny and, and bright. So back at the time when I was in Mexico, I had a very seasoned SE uh, that was covering one of the biggest accounts that we have. He was paired up with a very senior AM as well, uh, but uh, with a very special personality, let's call it that way. So one day he calls me and he says, say, over this meeting, my account manager starts having not this great behavior, telling this not great things about me. He ends up leaving the room and it became like a big deal, right? Um, and back at the time, I made the mistake that instead of supporting my SE, I think I took the easy way of uh, supporting the business in the sense that this was one of the biggest accounts we had uh, at the time. And we didn't want to lose the AM because he was running the business. And uh, as opposed to supporting my SE, uh, we ended up uh, relocating him into a different account so they didn't have to work together. Uh, but in hindsight, I think that was not the right decision uh, to be to be made. He shouldn't have been relocated to a different account. Um, and that eventually become a problem afterwards because uh, there was another SE that had a, a similar issue with this account manager. So that again, marked me very much and I was like, I. It was. It felt like a lost uh, fight, uh, and I didn't feel good with myself. And then again, another example of uh, how that has changed me over time and make me more people-oriented. Fight, and not only for my team, but also for my extended community. Right. So to your point, they don't have to be SEs in my team. This can be the rest of the leadership team, maybe extended teams that helps us in channels for marketing, uh, our channel partners even. So I I would say that that has been shaping my style and it's very people oriented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so amazing, I think, that you can look back on your career and be so self-reflective of these moments that really changed fundamentally how you show up, right? <laughs> and these like very aha moments um, and you're self-aware, which being a good leader first and foremost if you can't be humble if you can't look in the mirror if you can't you know who wants to know everything i don't that's no fun right so learning and growing and evolving and admitting like i do i've done it wrong right and i'm trying to get it right but it's never going to be perfect but i'm an open book and you it seems like you foster and create this environment where your team absolutely feels like you have their back Thank you. Yes, I, I try. I try. And uh, yeah, I, I get this feedback sometimes. I think the years have made me that way. And sometimes it comes uh, kind of natural, but it's mm -hmm. always good to remind yourself that you have to be intentional and you have to be conscious about proactively doing it. So I, I try to remind myself on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. What do, what do, what do you look for now when it comes to building an incredible team. You know, there are a lot of people out there who are super talented in the job market, wanting to come to Cisco, wanting to come to Meraki. Um, you know, as someone who recruits top talent, what do you look for? What's important to you? And maybe some of the qualities that aren't as, you know, on the beaten path or something unique maybe that you really look for on your team. How can candidates, I guess, stand out? Got it. I think that also has changed over time, right? Like it's very different being a first line manager than the current role that I have. So in my current role, I think about my uh, my SE managers being 
critical in the role. So I, I try to look for people who can build a team um, that can complement my strengths. So oftentimes you're not good at certain things, so you try to look for somebody to balance that out. Um, and I think that's like my number one priority, being a, a people-oriented, passionate on what they do, being able to build teams uh, and finding strengths that they can complement whatever I, I bring to the table. Uh, that'll be that'll be one. From um, outstanding, I think there's a lot of different things from the very small things, um, making sure you follow up, making sure you show up, you're passionate about what you're talking about. Oftentimes we get candidates that, you know, maybe have great knowledge, but they don't have the passion for it, or they don't, they don't believe on what they are uh, saying or, or, or telling, and that comes across. Uh, so I think passion, it's the, the one thing that uh, I, I look for, uh, in addition to uh, being a, a people oriented from a management perspective and, uh, yeah, so nowadays, uh, those are a couple of things that I, I look for uh, on candidates too. Yeah, totally echo the the passion thing. It's so obvious, right, when you're in an interview with someone and someone who has passion and excitement who, and who's done their homework versus someone who doesn't show up as prepared, the passion isn't there. I mean, it's day and night. You can't compare. Um, what, I, I love your comment about something you look for is someone with strengths who complement yours, right? Maybe you're really strong in some areas and not so much in other areas. So what would you say are things that you look for your counterpart? And I think you and your counterpart have this perfect relationship because you both <laughs> have certain strengths. Talk to us about that relationship. Like what are your superpowers? And then what do you look for in a counterpart or someone on your team that maybe isn't your strength? Yeah, so I guess in my current role, I I'm I feel I have a, a strength on building the teams, cheering them up, building a vision, creating this culture where people feel welcomed, people feel appreciated, and that motivation, you know, makes them do their their very best. Something I'm not great at, and I think my partner in crime uh, does very well. Uh, execution right like he's very to the point like hey we need to do this a b c and d these are the deadlines let's get it done um holding people accountable i think he does that very very well not that i don't do it but i think he does that extremely well uh calling them out uh, making sure things happen having this uh, metrics okrs uh things that we can look at at scale I think that's uh, something that I've learned over the last two years in the role. How do you, how do we do that at scale, right? I think in the past, I've been able to build those great teams uh, in a smaller scale, being a first line manager, but now uh, leading both public sector and the Latin American team, it's, it's different. And uh, I think my counterpart does that, does that very well. Um, and I, I try to look for those trends throughout all the team, right? So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, so one of my SEMs on the East, he's a great connector. So he builds these relationships very, very easily. So if I need a project or somebody to go do that, I, I will think about him uh, for the project, right? Uh, my West uh, SEM, he's very good at putting structure and a framework around a program or an initiative. 
So if that's something that I need, I'll probably go to him. Uh, we have an, an awesome uh, inside SEM. He's great at graphic design and uh, creative things. So if I need something around those lines, I look for him to do it. And as an example, he's helped us build uh, the logo and like the design of the Career Alchemy series, which is a development program that we have for SEs uh, at the Meraki organization, where we talk about career transitions and, and we invite, similar to your podcast, guests to share their story. He created all that design. So uh, I think it's not only on the hiring, but even on the teams that you currently have, leveraging those strengths. Uh, and they love it, right? Like th those are things that they are passionate. Those are their superpowers. So when they get a, a, a stretch assignment or an additional task to do and uh, and use their strengths, like they, they love it. Right. Yeah, that's such a great call out is getting to know your people on your team, whether you're hiring them or inheriting them and figuring out what lights you up and how can I enable you to do more of that throughout your everyday? Because then you're going to have a better time at work, right? When you're showing up and doing things you love. That's 100%. A, yeah, that's a great call out, Ponch. Um, you know, something that you kind of sprinkled through there in some of your messaging was around change and evolving and there's a ton of change management going on in the business right now you know it's no secret that cisco and meraki and the networking experiences organization we are merging and collaborating and our product suite is you know kind of integrating and our systems on the back end and operationally and commissions right all the things are happening and as a people leader i think one of the challenges is not when you're hitting goal and things are going swell but when there's a lot of change going on and we're coming off of a tough year, right? All these elements that really, I think, define how you show up as a leader. So my question for you is around change management, like how do you show up in this time and kind of be a calm when there's a storm? Um, and how do you keep your people motivated, right? If there are certain folks on your team who maybe aren't as excited or uncertainty really does scare them, um, what are some of your tactics and strategies for, you know, uh, minimal disruption throughout this? No, yeah, I, I, I hear you. There's a lot of change happening right now. Um, and I think every August at Cisco, that's, that's the case, but this year, particularly, there's a, a bit more going on. So the first thing I try to do, it's I, I try to understand for myself, like what's happening. Right. And I try to see the, the goodness in the change and i have to do that for myself to believe in what i'm asking my teams to go through right uh, and um, once i've done that then i think i'm able to kind of start sharing that with my leadership team and asking them to kind of cascade the same messaging um, in terms of some of the tactics i've reached out to actually our people and communities team with uh, to ask for formal training around change management so they're coming back with a couple of suggestions it's something that I'm going to start uh, rolling out with my team once we have that. So that's one. The other thing on a yearly basis, we run a survey with our teams. Uh, it's uh, based out of a tool called CultureAmp. And the results from that survey clearly stated that they, they were they are asking for a better vision and for being more transparent and for sharing where we're going in the next two to three years and what these changes mean to them, right? So what we've done, we created a plan in response to that survey and something very tactical, but I think it's starting to work. We are 
documenting things that are relevant from a change perspective in, in a file, very simple, very easy. But oftentimes the feedback was, there's a lot of meetings happening. We cannot show up to every single meeting, every single AMA, every single all hands, because we're with customers, partners, and sometimes we, we miss things, right? It's not because they, they didn't want to attend, it's just they couldn't. And then catching up with recording, it's really challenging. I, I think few people listen to the recording. So we're trying to capture nuggets of information of those meetings on things that are relevant. Um, leader announcements, compensation plan changes, um, things that are gonna happen in the future, uh, product roadmaps, uh, things that are getting decommissioned, like all those little things in the hopes of uh, bringing certainty to the teams. And the reason for being a document is that we didn't wanna have another meeting to share like the updates because it's <laughs> taking more time out of the day of the team. So this is like an asynchronous way of sharing information. It's a repository they can bookmark, they can always access it anytime they like at their convenience. And it doesn't have the entire recording. It doesn't have 10,000 slides. It just had like four or five bullets of the digested information uh, that are we believe are relevant. So we just launched this for two months now. Uh, it's our, our little pilot. Uh, we've received some very positive feedback thus far. Amazing. Uh, if it works, then we'll keep on doing it and we'll probably scale it out. I was just going to say, I'd love to see a copy of this document. <laughs> I'll add you. I'll, I'll share it with you and uh, I'd love to get your thoughts. See, this is why you bring people on the pod. You know, you never know what you're going to learn. <laughs> That's so awesome. And I feel the same way. Like there was a change with approvals in our CCW system. I was on PTO Friday and I missed the news and I was like, am I living under a rock? But it happens. I mean, we have so many emails and the inbox is flooded. So I love that idea of a repository with changes, super straightforward to the point. You don't have to watch an hour long recording. Um, that's a great example. And let me ask for the leaders at Cisco and Meraki who are listening to this podcast. I love that you reached out to people in communities and you said, Hey, do you have resources around change management? And they're going to get back to you with, is it like a training? Is it a, what kind of information did they follow up with? So I asked for a training that are, that it's available for us leaders, right? In uh, leading through change. Um, so far, they come back with a couple of uh, resources. One, it's out of uh, LinkedIn. The other one, I think it's an internal training that we have access to. So this just happened actually this week. I need to go through the resources, take a look, and figure out if that's something that it's going to help us out and, and roll it out afterwards. Right. Yeah. It's such a important skill set to learn how to master and no, there's no rule book on how to do it, right? How do you lead through difficult times? How do you, you get thrown in, right? Feet to the fire and you got to figure it out. So you are extremely resourceful. And I think that's great advice for anyone listening who is a newer leader, um, who needs help with that to, to reach out and get those resources. Um, what is next for you, Ponch? What's your path forward? What are your goals? What are your aspirations? dream job after this role tell us what's next ah uh, short answer it's i don't know if a specific role that i would like to pursue but for a very long time my goal was to be like a second line manager i've been two years doing this and i'm learning a lot i still feel like uh, i i still have some time to consolidate that knowledge so i would i'm very happy with the role that i am right now so i would like to keep on doing that for a little longer 
eventually over time, I would like to be maybe like a third line uh, manager. So running a, a, a broader organization and try to make my decisions impact a broader group of people and fighting the good fights. Um, so that's something I would like to do next. I don't have like a, a label or I don't care about the title really. It's more like the function. Uh, if it comes with Meraki, I would love it to be within Meraki. I love the organization. Um, and if not, ideally within Cisco. Um, so I, I would love to do that. Yeah. Okay. We'll put that out into the universe. Hopefully someone listening is hearing this and thinking, huh, I might have a role for him, but not now because you can't leave public sector. We, we love you so much here. So what is, you know, let me ask, you've worked in several different segments of the business, which I think makes you even more that much, much more lethal and valuable. And, you know, right. You've seen different functions for public sector specifically, like where you're at now, you seem extremely passionate about, you know, our cities and our counties and our communities and education. Is it different for you leading engineers in this particular segment of the business versus a small, small business or enterprise? Like, does it, does it feel different for you? Like more passion driven or mission driven maybe? Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities, but also a lot of differences, right? And I think public sector has that characteristic of serving our communities and helping uh, serve those that serve. So I think it has a, a different spin. And every now and then we get some of these great wins where you see the outcomes happening and impacting either the students or, or the citizens or making the government just more efficient. And I think that's that's awesome. I think that's a unique position where you can say, I'm actually helping the country run much better. Uh, and I've always had a passion for public sector. Uh, true fact, I, I was running public sector in Mexico uh, for four years. And back at the time when I got exposed to it, I hated it. I hated it. Uh, I was asked to run the public sector team in Mexico. So I, it was not my choice, so to speak. And I didn't understand how it worked. I didn't understand the, the RFPs, the beats, the, the letters, the contracts. And I, I, yeah, I struggled like for probably six months. But once I find out how it worked, I understood it. I, I realized the impact, it changed my mind. And uh, a couple of people I wanna shout out, uh, Abel Diego uh, and Isidro Quintana, those were my leaders back at the time in public sector. They did an amazing job of uh, stating that love for, for the segment in me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know what you mean. When I first came into Meraki, I was placed on the public sector team. And I think after a month, I was like, have I made a huge mistake? Because it's, it is a different language and understanding the sales cycle and state contracts and the E-rate and all the things you're just, your head's going to explode. But then once you get it and you see the impact and truly you're transforming schools yeah. and their network and their access to technology. I mean, we saw it during COVID it, you, there's like a soft spot right in your heart, but it's, it's a beast. It's an animal to learn at first. So I hear you. I love your vulnerability there and admitting that. Um, <laughs> What, what's the, you know, we're closing up. This will be the last question for you today. And thank you so much again for joining. 
What's a call to action for you if someone is listening and feeling inspired to either explore the sales engineering organization or sales organization or um, just wants to grow and expand their network? Because I think you've done an incredible job of doing that at your time within Cisco. Advice, feedback for people, you know, if they're looking to make a jump or a leap in their career. Yeah, thanks for the question. I, yeah, I think a few few things. One, I think you have to be proactive and take responsibility of your career development, right? Nobody else is going to do it for you. So you need to take charge. I would strongly recommend you have a plan in place. If you have it written even better uh, on things that you want to do and skills you want to develop and uh, the network that you're leveraging to do that. I think over the years, I've been very grateful and very lucky to have great mentors, great sponsors that have uh, helped me advance through my career. So building your network would be a great advice. A lot of the roles that I got, I I didn't ask for them. I, I got like tapped on the shoulder and asked if I want to join. Um, and that was because one, I think great results, that's like table stakes. You should be doing your job, but uh, Going the above and beyond, um, having that network really, really makes a difference. And uh, the third one, in terms of going above and beyond, a lot of a lot of the network that I built over time was outside my role, right? It was because of projects that I had nothing to do with my role. Um, at sometimes in my career, I was leading like the civil civic council as an example. I was building the Conexion chapter, which is one of our uh, ERGs here internally at, at Cisco. Um, that internship program that I built early in Mexico City. So a lot of those things that had nothing to do with my job, they exposed me to people outside my direct relationship, exposed me to other organizations. And those networks have actually helped me a lot throughout the years. And you never know where the next job is gonna come from, right? So. Nurturing those relationships and uh, making sure you're stretching your skills throughout those uh, special assignments. I think it's, it's key, at least for me, it has worked uh, in a very significant way. Yeah. And I think one more quick follow up, I think, especially for women, but men also feel this way too. You know, the idea of talking about the incredible work that they've done or the projects that they've you know, worked on, or the, the fact that they've gone above and beyond is really hard for some people and they feel like it's bragging or, you know, maybe. So how, what is your advice for how important that is actually in these relationships that you're building and when you're networking to talk about the incredible work that you do so that not only your boss knows, but your boss's boss knows, right? Do you have any advice for how do you share that without coming off like you're bragging? Yeah, I have a lot of advices on that front because I'm, I was one of those, and I'm I'm still are, one of those people that don't like to to brag. But um, shout out to Jochen Brevier, who was a, a mentor of mine back in the Netherlands. He helped me understand that two things. One, he was my voice in in bragging about myself elsewhere. He was a great connector. He had a lot of great relationships. He saw the talent in me, and he was willing to share within the organization and the people he knew the awesome job that I, I was doing. So find those mentors, find those sponsors, let them be your representative, right? So that's number one. 
number two, becoming a manager, he helped me understand that it was not about me. It was not bragging about me, but if I didn't do it, my team will never shine. Mm. So it was no longer about the individual, but it was about the team. And that completely changed the way I approach things, right? I, I felt like I was not bragging anymore, but I was actually, since being a people leader, it actually helped me realize like, oh my God, I need to share all the amazing things that my team is doing so they can get promoted, right? Uh, and they can get the visibility and, and the exposure. So for those managers uh, or people are aspiring to do it, that's another trick that helped me do it. Um, and last but not least, I would say just be genuine, right? It's not about uh, bragging or getting an advantage. You're just sharing the awesome work that your people or yourself is doing. Um, and don't feel that you're bragging about it. It's just sharing. Sharing is caring. Uh, somebody will steal your best practices and it's going to be great. So be, be confident. Don't, don't shy away from it. Yeah. Good point. Sharing is caring. And when you share the incredible work you do, you offer, you know, other people to step up and repeat and see success in that way. So I think that's a, a great call out. Um, well, Punch, how fun was that? It was awesome. And uh, time flew, actually. I just realized. <laughs> I know. So it did fly. About. We we covered a lot of ground today. Um, I guess this means you have to come back, though, right? Because you had such a good time. I would love to. Yes. Anytime you'll have me, I'll, I'll be back. Fabulous. Open door policy. Um, well, thank you so much again for joining. It was a very refreshing and light episode, but yet there were so many valuable little nuggets sprinkled throughout. And if one person listens to it and got a valuable takeaway, like we have done our job. Um, and I know that will certainly be the case. So thank you again for joining and folks tuning in. Sammy Renner signing out uh, another great episode of the Meraki Unbox podcast. Don't forget to download, listen, subscribe, tell all your friends about this podcast, and we will see you back here in two weeks with another episode. Take care, folks.